This is Transforming Culture, an MBC podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to Transforming Culture, the podcast. My name is Luke LaRocque, and I'm the Director of Ministry at Muskoka Bible Center. MBC hosted a series of lectures over the summer about controversial cultural issues, and we've turned those lectures into a podcast. This is our third episode, so if you're tuning in for the first time, I'd encourage you to check out our first two episodes on political engagement with Dwayne Klein and wokeness with Michael Polwecki. The first episode in particular helps explain what this podcast is all about. This week, we're listening in on a lecture from Steve Bray about engaging with and authentically loving our LGBTQ plus friends and neighbors. It's a great session, and we dive into so much more in our conversation after the lecture is done. As with all our episodes, we know that these topics can be touchy, which is exactly why we're exploring them together. This particular seminar was the most requested episode from those who heard it during the summer, so we are excited to finally get it out on the air for all of you who were so patiently waiting. Steve Bray attended both Pillsbury Baptist Bible College and Kingston Baptist Bible College for his undergraduate studies and Calvary Baptist Seminary for his MDiv. He has been in pastoral ministry for over 20 years, serving in both fellowship and Canadian Baptist churches in Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island, and currently as lead pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in St. John's, Newfoundland. Steve started the TGC Atlantic Canada and is a founding member of the TGC Canada Council. He is the director of Mile One Mission and is dedicated to planting churches and seeing Indigenous Newfoundlanders raised up to reach Canada's most easterly province. Their goal and vision is to see 10 churches planted by 2030. Steve is the blessed husband of Debbie, his childhood sweetheart and proud father of his three beautiful children and, in his specific words, four beautiful grandchildren as well. As fair warning to our listeners, this is a longer episode. Steve had so much knowledge, humor and wisdom to bring that we just had to include it all. Don't be afraid to grab a coffee and sit and listen with us as we hear about his perspective on engaging biblically with our LGBTQ plus neighbors. Well, I don't know if I'm brave or an idiot, but I am honored to be here with you again to walk into these things. And as I've tried to say many, many times, I don't want to be a salesman. I I don't want you to think that I'm here to try and convince you of anything. These literally, what I'm going to talk to you about, I talk out of the abundance of my heart and experiences, and I've seen God work. And, um, you know, it was interesting to listen to Luke say when he said, someone said that we are, um, the church is 10 years behind. Let me just challenge you all as we start this. We need to invite the next generation back into our churches and believe that 1 Timothy 4 and not letting us despise the youth 
and yet helping them and empowering them to be an example of love and faith and purity and good deeds. One thing I should tell you, I, I really believe this with all my heart, that inside church, truth should never be afraid of a question. And if you get defensive because people ask you difficult things, then you're tipping your hand that you don't actually believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and the gospel to guide us in all areas of life. And so it should be good that people ask questions. It should be good that we sometimes have to say, I don't know. I haven't landed yet. I'm still walking through this. The other thing that we have to do is I believe it's okay to allow people to say, so what? Especially the younger generation. Don't ever assume that because they've been raised in a Christian home or they've been raised around church or anything at all like that, that that means now they just must sit and accept everything we've given them. I love it when my children challenge me and ask me, so what? My youngest daughter is 20, and she has Muslim friends and African, French-speaking Catholic friends, and she is taking aesthetics, and so she's in a world where she's dealing with all of the culture. And I will get the most random texts from her at any hour of the night and day. And I could read some of them for you, but like, Dad... Abortion, go. That was the text. <laughs> Dad, do we love gays and lesbians? Go. These are the types of texts I get, and I love it when I get those texts because she's actually somewhere in the middle of a conversation with her friends, and she's trying to figure out. <laughs> One of her texts was, Dad, the Bible or the Quran? Go. And I love that. And we need to realize what we're up against okay? Someone wrote recently that these are the big cultural shifts we're dealing with right now. The highest good is now individual freedom and happiness. That is the big cultural shift we're now engaging. It's about my freedom and my happiness. That is now what reigns. It's not about creeds anymore. It's about what feels good and what I feel reigns. The other one is traditions and regulations and social ties that restrict freedom and happiness and self-expression are being deconstructed or destroyed. And that's why all things church are considered bad. And this is becoming the new reality. And sometimes even us as older folk don't realize we're still, we're being affected by it. We just don't sometimes realize it because it's more of a slow drip for us. And we've got some other paradigms to draw from. But this is the everyday stuff that anybody probably under the age of 30 is dealing with. Another cultural shift that people are dealing with is the world will get better with progress, technology, and education. And that's what I talked about this morning. We are convinced that knowledge is power. And yet what we're living through is often knowledge creates depression, discouragement, anxiety, I've been a pastor half my life, and to be quite honest with you, if I let my personal assistant totally free to book my schedule, I would do counseling largely for anxiety issues 40 to 50 hours of every week of all age brackets across every spectrum of society and economics. And so we need to realize this is what we're up against. Here's another one. Ethics have become prioritized around the quest for individual freedom and self-expression. So in other words, if I feel that this is my freedom 
and this is the way I want to express myself, then therefore it is morally right. So what's happened now is morality is now in the eyes of the beholder. That's the world we now live in. And then finally, and by the way, these aren't mine. The guy named Kerry Newhoff just put these out. I'm not endorsing everything Kerry does, but these are really, really good. There are forms of external authority that need to be rejected, and personal authenticity is celebrated as the ultimate thing. So in other words, this is an old, old book, and it is useless because it doesn't have any relevance today. So let's put that aside, throw it away. I can still be spiritual, but now I'll determine my spiritual worth and track and all these types of things. So how do we bring that into this sexual revolution that we find ourselves in? I've had the joy and responsibility of having some wonderful gay and lesbian friends. I've had the joy of seeing God work in mighty ways. And I've had to suffer well in forms of attack of all kinds. The church that I get to pastor, while I've talked a lot about Mile One Mission and the challenges of St. John's, our church, the largest demographic of our church is 18 to 28. 50% of our congregation is in that demographic, 18 to 28. And I think a large reason for that is because we unapologetically talk about the issues. We do. When the COVID came, our elders got together and we fasted and prayed because we wanted to know how to handle this because we knew how contentious an issue was. And I love it. We came up with a motto all through COVID. We are not unanimous, but we are united. And that was our motto. And we lived by it. And we talked about it. And we talk about in our life groups and community groups and the way we preach. Right now we're doing a series called What is a Post-COVID Biblically Healthy Church? And we deal with things real life issues. But I just want to make you realize that I think there's two layers to this, and this is why I think we find it confusing about how to deal with inclusion in regards to our churches. One confuses me, and one I think is valid. One is, there's the idea of what the world is doing. So when unsaved people do what unsaved people do, they search for happiness. They, find, they try to find meaning. They want belonging. They want significance. Remember I told you about comfort, control, or significance. The world is hungry for that. They're looking for it because really, let's be honest, if you didn't know Christ, what do you have? 70 to 90 years, you better make the best of it because who knows what happens after that. So I don't quite understand why the church has gotten a megaphone and we're yelling at the world about their decisions. So that's one layer. And what happens is that layer gets confused with the other layer, which I think is more valid and even more delicate for us, is what happens when we have professing Christians who admit or come to you and say, I struggle with same-sex attraction. I wonder, have I been born in the wrong body? What do I do with this urge this feeling, this just feels right. And often we regulate it down to a sin list and don't look at people. 
So four things I'm going to give you very, very quickly, very practical things that I've learned from this. And when I tell you this, I will tell you. So when before I became a pastor, um, the last time I was a pastor when I just 21 years of age, I was a youth pastor down in the Annapolis Valley of Nova Scotia. Some things went wrong. There was a church split because of, tragically, often Baptists, that's their form of church planting. Okay? I'm just being honest. Don't kill me. I'm just being honest. I was a very young youth pastor, and there was a fight in the church, and it split, and I ended up having to leave the ministry, and I had to go back to Newfoundland, and believe it or not, ended up becoming the general manager of a retail store called Northern Reflections. (laughs) Yes, it is that funny. I was the only male manager east of Montreal. It is a women's clothing store. And for several years, it was me and 29 women. And boy, did God give me an education in the fairer sex. And through that, I got headhunted into winners. And I became a human resources manager and training and support manager for uh, winners. And my immediate boss was a homosexual. And we had a wonderful relationship. I got asked to move to Prince Edward Island to help fix a store there that had run into some problems. And, uh, and when I went there, my wife and I started attending a church there called Grace Baptist Church. And as God would have it, that that church would eventually call me to be their associate pastor. And we would then spend the next 15 years of our lives there. And it was the most wonderful ministry a, a couple and a family could ask for. I remember the day that the church had voted me in, so I needed to go to my boss and tell him that I was resigning. And I wanted to finish well. I respected this man very, very much, and we had been very close. And I wanted to give him lots of notice. And so I gave him months' worth of notice that I would be leaving because I wanted to get through the Christmas season and the auditing season, and I didn't want any kind of managers coming behind me and being stressed over this. So we went through that, but was coming up on about two weeks before I was going to leave. And my boss came to PEI and took me out for a steak dinner. And we chatted away, and he was very interested. We had just had a daughter born, and he was very interested in our daughter. And then we kind of finished the meal, and he laid his fork and knife down. And I felt like something was coming. And quite frankly, in my selfishness, I thought he might give me a bonus or something, actually. (laughs) Instead, he looked across the table at me, and he said, Now, I've got to ask a question because you're about to become a Baptist minister, and I'm gay. And everything I know says that you're supposed to hate me. But you've been a dear friend to me and one of my best employees, and I can't make heads or tails of you. You've got to tell me why you don't hate me. And that began a three-hour conversation in which I told him about my life, and he told me about his. Now, he never came to Christ, but for 10 years after that, he sent me a birthday card for my daughter on the anniversary of her birthday for 10 years. And we just had a wonderful, wonderful relationship. I've had the joy of knowing a man who had been a homosexual and down in New York and uh, came to Christ and came out of that particular lifestyle. And it was a real education to me, not only because of what he faced coming out because he was afraid for his life. He got death threats of all types. But what was interesting for me was how he described what drew him in to the decisions that he did. Because what I do want you to realize is often what is out there now in these particular groups 
is a form of church that often puts the authentic church to shame. There's a sense of acceptance and support, sacrifice. There's a sense of we will come alongside you. We will give you worth and meaning and all these things, which, you know what? We might not agree with why they're doing it and their motives are not pure. But guys, we should be able to see that that is noble because every single one of us is created in the image of God. And even sometimes when we don't want to, when we're running from God, you can't help but still act like your creator. We are made to be a community of people. And this is why we struggle. Now, I do want to applaud everybody here for whoever stocks the bookstore. So if you have issues on this, or you want to really get serious about this, there are a collage of wonderful books in the bookstore on this. Jackie Hill Perry has written a book called Gay Girl, Good God. And if you have not listened to Jackie Hill Perry, you should. She's got a wonderful testimony. Sam Albury also has a book in the bookstore. Sam Albury is a pastor on staff at um, Emmanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And he is a dear believer and a dear friend who has struggled for the better part of his adult life with same-sex attraction and has put that before the Lord as he lives this out and seeks to be holy even as he struggles. And then Kevin DeYoung has some books over there, and as well, there are other ones that you can look up as well. Now, if you want to get into a deeper theological issue, I would recommend a book by Robert Genyon called The Bible and Homosexuality, where he really breaks down the hermeneutics of this, because within the church, we are faced with a thing called, and again, I'm going to get a little heady here for five minutes, what's called a redemptive hermeneutic. And some of you might know a book called, I think it's Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals, and uh, the idea that the Bible kind of moves with its hermeneutic. Now, I fundamentally disagree with this, um, and it's something that I think we have to be careful of, but that's what has infiltrated much of our churches, and this is why I think that's a great book for you to have. But the great thing about Sam Albury and Jackie Hill Perry will teach you as you deal with this is remember when Adam and Eve fell sin entered the world. And that means everything about us was corrupt. Everything. Everything, even sexual desires and identity. The great tragedy of this that I find the most sad and something I do spend a lot of my time when I encounter people, whether heterosexual or homosexual or transsexual, is this incessant need for us to identify ourselves, our humanity, by our genitalia. And I'll even give you a more broader scope of this and something I want to warn you as a church. I had two ladies from a local community college in St. John's that had to interview someone of a religious nature about their ability to reach into the community. And wouldn't you know it, since our church was just up the street, they decided to interview me, which I was like fresh meat, but they had thoughts that didn't know what they were dealing with. And these two young ladies came to sit down and interview me. And I just, I can make friends with a rock. So I just love to talk to people and love to be around people. And so I immediately started asking them questions. Tell me your story. Where are you from? And one girl was from Labrador and the other girl was from just outside of St. John's. And it was interesting as I was discussing it because the first girl said, now, reverend, because that's what they've got no category for pastor. That's a weird ex uh, expression for them. So she said, reverend, you know, I know, don't judge me, but I live with my boyfriend. I'm like, Okay. And then the other lady, she said, well, just like my friend, don't judge me because I'm divorced. 
And I stopped them both, and I said, I asked the other lady, I said, can I ask you something? Why did you feel like you had to identify yourself to me as someone who was divorced? And she literally looked at me, she said, I don't know. I said, can I tell you something? I said, you have walked through divorce. It's something that has happened to you, but it's not who you are. You've experienced it, but it doesn't own you. I said, in my world, I think you're a daughter of God. He created you, and he sent his son to live for you. And right in front of me, she starts to just weep. Because nobody had ever taken the time to let her know she was a person who had experienced hardship. And it was the same thing with the other young girl. There is a sense of morality in all of us. And we are all searching and hurting and wondering, even in our rebellion and our anger and our upset, even when we direct that vitriol even toward God. I just want to remind you, if you are really and genuinely Christian, read the book of Psalms and tell me you don't find the authors being very angry and honest at times. Read Psalm 101 to 119 or 118, because I know many of you will be like, not 119, Steve, please, not 119. But in the middle there, There are a series of Psalms where literally the author dares to say, God, you may be a liar. You've broken your promises. That's why I love Psalms, because I have felt all the emotions I encounter there. And I love it that God patiently brings every one of these people to him. So, very quickly, four things. Number one, listen honestly. Listen honestly. When you are encountering people that are struggling with their sexual identity, do not assume you know why and you've got all the answers, because likely you don't. I told you very passingly of a little bit of my story that I was sexually abused from 7 to 13. My childhood was robbed from me. I was a play toy for someone that moved into our home. I was stabbed twice, beaten on a regular basis. And it amazes me how many people will walk up to me and try and tell me how they know how I feel. Because they don't. And often people will ask me, and I get asked this question all the time. Are you angry with God? I was. Are you angry with your parents? I was. But... God in his mercy brought people into my life who didn't try to fix me. They loved me. And they changed my view of God. And that's how he saved me. And so again, I don't tell people I'm a sexual abuse survivor. That just gives me chills. I am someone that has experienced the sad effects of sin. But I am a child of God. I am a victor in Christ. Do I have unique temptations and challenges? Has my wife walked me through the terrors of my childhood? You better believe it. But I have a Savior who has said, Steve, this does not own you. Because Jesus paid it all. Now, do you know what has happened over the last 30 years of my life? Do you know how many people God has allowed me to come alongside of? that have walked this road. And the one thing when you get that emptied out of your life, the greatest gift that I think God can give us as Christians is any human being should be able to tell you anything about themselves and your eyes never change. That's why I love the woman at the well. She is my heroine of Scripture. 
And it is why I love my Savior. Because she looked into the face of Almighty God, and he loved her. But he still told her the truth. He was honest, and that love transformed her. He didn't serve her up with the 613 laws of Judaism. Remember what he said in the Sermon on the Mount? And if you, you, listen, to, if you listen to me, what did Jesus? He listened to her honestly. He had an honest conversation. So as we want to encounter what is happening in our country, we need to learn how to listen more and speak less. Do not assume you know, because you often won't. Ask questions, open any questions. And yes, it may make you uncomfortable and all these things, but your Bible is filled with this. Read the book of Acts. Read the epistles. It is amazing to me when we do this, and I'll get into this in just a minute. Secondly, you need to learn humbly. Ask why. And be humble. Realize one of the things I, I think that I struggle with, obviously, you've got to realize, right? Because what I experienced in my life, I mean, really and truly, Debbie has known me my entire life, but Debbie and I didn't go out on a date till we were 16. And all of this trauma that happened to me happened right under the nose of my church, and nobody knew anything. Because in my church, everybody went to church on Sunday, and we had to smile and look good and just act like we had life all together. And I don't think I'm alone as I look at some of your faces and see some of the smiles and the eyes cast down, right? And it was an amazing thing because I didn't know how to even interact with the opposite sex. And Debbie was so kind and gracious. And I remember the first time when we were 19 that I took her to a park and I sat her down and I said, I have to tell you a story about a little boy. And I told her my story from five years old to 19. And she listened honestly and she learned humbly. And when I finished my story, she looked up at me and a tear ran down her cheek and she said, I love you. And I know that's a hallmark moment. And some of you went, oh. But I will tell you, I knew then I was going to marry her. I was 19. I was an idiot. I remember going to get my father and picking him up and dad came in the car and I said, Dad, I know you're not going to like this, but I'm going to marry Debbie Mercer. And dad, my dad would tell you, he said, Steve, the resolve in your face, I knew it was useless to argue with you. And Debbie has patiently for years watched God work in my life as she learned humbly with me how for me to face my own sexual confusion. And we need to be willing to do that with others. I got to tell you, as far as the world is concerned, a church should be the absolute safest place to walk into. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to be the most comfortable place to walk into. If you have pain, I've had a couple of different scares with my heart. It runs in my family, and I've had to make appointments with the cardiologist, and I feel safe going in there, but I'm not always comfortable because I know I'm in the place where I can get answers, but some of the answers might be your chest has got to get cut open, but I know that's the safest place for me. And so our churches need to be like that. So then, thirdly, we need to love biblically. Now, this will make a lot more sense if some of you are around tomorrow morning as we look at the church of Thyatira, the only church that was complimented for love, but it completely botched it in regards to stand. 
When I say love biblically, I don't mean love as in anybody wants to do. And so here's the big words I'm going to give you. The church should be a place of acceptance. The church should not be a place of affirmation. And there's a difference. I will love anybody that walks through the doors of our church. I don't care what their story is. I don't care what they struggle with. I don't care what their trauma is. I don't care what their beef is or their bitterness. We want them to come in and we want to walk and it's messy and time consuming and that's what church is supposed to be. And you don't win them all. There is no magic formula. Folks, remember when you're dealing with all this, never forget Matthew chapter 13. Please, we we miss this so often. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed? Now remember, a lot of times people mess this up because there's the rocky ground, there's the shallow ground, sorry, there's the hard ground, the rocky ground, the shallow ground, and then the good ground. Now when he explains it, what does he say? The hard ground is where the seed goes, falls there, it doesn't get anywhere, right? The birds come and take it away. You've all experienced this where you just talk to someone and you know it's just as well that I was talking to my shoes, Right? But then there's others you talk to, and the moment you tell them about what God has done in your life, they're fascinated, right? They're looking, and maybe several things haven't worked out, and they just, this sounds like a good gig. But then when they get in and they realize, oh, this is like life commitment. This is like deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And all of a sudden, now they're out. And we will experience this with all walks of life, whether heterosexual, homosexual, transsexual. And then there's the others that seem to embrace it, but then what happens? The affairs of the world and the cares and society starts to bear itself, and they're like, I can't do this. But then there's that seed that lands on good ground. And remember, the key difference in Matthew 13 is that is the ones that both hear and understand, and they produce fruit. So I'm a numbers guy. So I've always added, okay, Lord, bottom line is one in four may respond, and that's all up to a sovereign God. And you know, I live my life like that. So I lower my expectations. God has never called me to save anybody or change anybody. He's just called me to be a seed spreader. And he saves people. When you get that attitude, you start taking the edge off yourself. You don't feel pressure, so you don't get argumentative, and you don't feel like you got to win uh, debates, and you don't feel you got to convince people to come to your side. You're just simply pointing people to Jesus Christ. I love it in Rosaria Butterfield's book, if you don't get it, because that's the only one that's not in there. It's called Letters from an Unlikely Convert. Probably one of the best books you can pick up and read, and she talks about the fact that she was a journalism, and she had to go interview someone because she wanted to actually prove that this Bible was not worth anything, but she had no spiritual friends. So she found this pastor, and one of the most poignant lines in it was she said, this pastor never ever told me I would go to hell because I was a lesbian. But he always told me that the Bible says separation from God is a result of unbelief. Don't try to treat symptoms. Treat the disease. We all have the same disease whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, or transsexual. We are sinners, and we need a Savior. And I will not go to hell because of my promiscuous life pre-16 years of age. The only reason God would ever say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you, is because I don't trust him. 
And again, don't just try to get people to say, I believe in Jesus. No, we got to try and love them biblically to say, no, you can trust Jesus, which means you can trust the things that he tells you. What was it, Richard Dawkins, who said, I can't believe in a God who is worried about my genitals. And I'm saying, no, I love a God who cares enough to number the hairs of my head, which means he knows and wants and has a plan for every part of my body. One of the things we've done wrong, and I was asking a couple before I started this, before we even get into this debate, and I'll take all your questions on this one, it seems to me that it's really easy right now to target the sexual revolution, but when was the last time you heard a good sermon, not a legalistic one, on the purity of sexuality amongst heterosexuals before marriage? Yeah. (laughs) Praise Jesus out of the mouths of babes. Right? We're so busy yelling and screaming and condescending, I think largely over issues that we don't think affect us. Meanwhile, all the people that are struggling with this look at us and say, but you guys don't care about the stuff you said you cared about 50 years ago. Now, I also think the problem is, is we have just taken all sexual stuff and turned it into a list of rules. And we've painted, remember what I told you earlier? Give me, tell me what you're afraid of, and I'll tell you your view of God. So we almost have this view of God like he's a cosmic killjoy. How can I make your lives miserable? How can I steal all of your fun? Yet, and though I laughed at it, Psalm 119, right? 176 verses of what? The author actually saying, I love the statutes, the testimonies, the laws, all this of the Lord. What was it that Joseph said, remember, when he was being accosted by Potiphar's wife? How could I do this thing and sin against God? But when you read it, you don't get the sense that he was like, because I don't want to get squat under his thumb. No, when was the last time we ever told anybody about the joys of monogamy? When we, we talk about the trust and the intimacy that transcends just sex, so many churches, even in married couples, and God, I'm very passionate about this. My wife and I do a lot with marriage, and I, I'm right now I'm doing five sets of premarital counseling. You do that when your church is 18 to 28. I've done far more marriages and births and baby dedications than I've done funerals by like three, four to one. But what I tell them, every one of them, listen, great sex does not equal a great marriage. Spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, and intellectual intimacy will always give you great sex. But the world tries to tell you it's the other way around. And that's true in homosexuality. That's true in transgenderism. We actually think in this pursuit of belonging and significance that pleasure reigns. And yet, anybody you have an honest confrontation, if you listen honestly and learn humbly and love biblically, and then finally live holy. And when I mean that, I don't mean H-O-L-Y, although you should, I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y, holistically. Be honest and patient. Own your junk with friends that come to you and struggle with this. I've been blessed to have many homosexual friends, and I love them, and I want them to know Christ. And I have many heterosexual friends who I love and want to know Christ who are just as messed up as anybody else. Now, I say this to you, and I want you to realize I'm not telling you this because it's like a Disney film and we all lived happily ever after in the end. All right, in Newfoundland at our church plant in downtown, a group of the LGBT community found out that we were planting a church down there 
And the leader of that group was a former, came out of a Christian denomination, and she was very angry and hurt and jaded. And so she started a Facebook group that within 24 hours became 1,600 people. And they went after every part of our ministry. They, they had, the name of the group was not in our neighborhood. And they wanted no part of us planting a church downtown. They claimed that the downtown was where they were and where they were safe. And we received all kinds of blowback. They called the city hall. They tried to get us kicked out of everywhere we were renting. We don't own anything, so we rent everywhere. They threatened businesses. They said, we will protest your business if you don't kick them out. They're, they're haters, and they, they tagged us as believing in conversion therapy and all these types of things. And on this group, things like all gay, uh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims should be exterminated from planet Earth. They got a picture off Facebook of our planter. And I was telling you this of his family, his a one-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter, and they literally had on that superimposed and put it on the face group, who is willing to kill this family? And they fantasized about it. They talked about me. They had a parade, uh, a protest parade in one of the parks. They had a picture of me on placards, and they had a drag show, and it was all about just running us down, and they had never met me. I had never met any of them. And I was getting catcall emails, being dared to do public debates. And I was in Vancouver when the worst of this hit. And so CBC was calling and our newspaper was calling and, and CTV and everyone was calling. And here's what I want you to know. I did two hours worth of interviews and nobody ran a single article. And here's why. One, we had businesses refuse to do business, sell us stuff, all kinds of stuff. And we never got angry. We never went public. We never threatened. I told the lady that I would never debate her, but I would meet with her and talk with her, that I was sorry she felt the way she did. The one lady from CBC, when she interviewed me, she interviewed me and she said, you think transgender people are demon-possessed and they're like a, a scourge of society. And I said, so honey, it's funny, you're asking me a question, but you're already giving me the answer. I said, I don't know where you got that from. But I said, I do not believe that. And if anybody told you that's wrong, she said, but you believe they're really messed up. I said, yeah. I said, but there's 8 billion people on planet Earth and we're all messed up. And I'm just as messed up as any of them. But I said, I believe in a God who sent his son to live for me and die for me. And he has a plan to unmess up all 8 billion of us. And literally, because I had her on speakerphone because I had witnesses, this is what she said. Well, who wouldn't want that? And I was like, ta-da, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but I did talk about the threats and talked about, you know, we got into all the issues of tolerance and intolerance and double standards and all these things. But the reality is, when it didn't fit the narrative, they needed an angry, raging evangelical. And I just stayed calm and loving said why I believe what I do, that God has a plan and a purpose, and that the sum total of my humanity is not found in what happens in the inner part of my region. That God is so much bigger and better than that. And so I don't think it fit the narrative, so they didn't run the articles. And as quickly as that wave of persecution came, it was gone. The whole Facebook is shut down, doesn't even exist anymore. And Adam is downtown planting a church. And he got met just a little while ago by a lady that 
is a, a lesbian, and they talked, and she literally said, I wouldn't feel safe in your living room. And he literally wept and said, that breaks my heart, and I promise you, you will always be safe in my home. But because I love you, I will tell you the truth. But that same truth affects me too. And so you need to listen honestly, learn humbly, love biblically, live holy. And remember, don't try to treat the symptoms. And I'll give you an example of this, something that happened. To give you an example, you can do everything right and still have things go terribly wrong. Tim Keller, whom many of you know, uh, just put out a tweet, uh, Instagram, and here's what he said. You can love without agreement, and you can disagree without it being hate. Amen? Right. Great thing. Truthful. The first statement in response to that was someone who said, I don't agree if it means you're going to take away my human rights. See, we have to stop thinking that we're going to discuss this and figure out a way that we're going to do it and not face persecution. You will. But in the face of persecution, accusation, threat, demeaning, will they see in us love and patience and are willing to suffer well because we actually believe God loves us. The greatest compliment I was ever paid by someone who wasn't homosexual, was heterosexual, but just living a very debauched life. And I loved on this guy and walked through a lot of things with him up and down. He'd struggled with alcoholism and drugs and theft and everything else just all over the place. And he said, Rev, I've never wanted to hit you and hug you like I do. Because I hate everything you tell me. But I know whenever I can call you, you're going to answer the phone. That should be the story. That should be normal in church. We got to stop thinking that we're going to be upper class, well put together people. You know a little bit of my, my life. I'll finish with this because, man, I've been way too long. Debbie's over there and she hates this. So I am the black sheep, and she is Snow White. She obeyed her parents, was the darling of our church. The worst thing she ever did was date me. Trust me, pastor called her in and said that. But my wife would tell you that as much as I had to go to God and confess and repent of my unrighteousness, she would tell you that the greatest realization in her life was when she had to go to God as Savior and repent of her righteousness. And we both found the same father. See, you'll never be so bad that you cannot be saved. But you'll never be so good that you don't need to be saved. And that is what we need to do. What an amazing talk from Steve Bray. I hope you all had a chance to truly sit and listen to his heart when it comes to matters of affirmation and acceptance and the difference between the two. I had the chance to sit down with Steve immediately after his talk this past summer, and we had another great conversation about these issues, but it also turned into quite the wide-ranging conversation about the church in Canada and how to call ourselves to account for the things that we consider important in church life and sin, and let's just dive right into that conversation. 
Steve, thanks so much for being a part of this. Uh, we've just been so glad to have you here as part of our Transforming Culture seminar. And you gave a lot of information tonight to a lot of people. Uh, I love, you know, and, and we joked about this before you even spoke tonight, you know, how, you know, 25, 30 minutes and, and you, just, you brought <laughs> yeah. the word for almost a full hour, brother. So thank you. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was that long. <laughs> well, we're not complaining okay. and we can always edit some out. So yes, don't worry. Please you know, do. Feel free. If, if the audience just heard, if a podcast audience just heard 12 minutes, you'll know how we felt about what you awesome. said. But yeah, yeah, that's right. Listen, we, we know that this is a heavy topic it and is. it's, it's a really touchy topic for a lot of people talking about LGBTQ. Yep love and inclusion and acceptance, affirmation. These are all very big words these days. Yep. Um, and, you know, the question I want to start off with kind of at the beginning here is this word love. Mm. And, and you asked it, you know, someone asked you in the audience during the Q&A tonight, mm. and I'm just going to go right back there. Sure. Um, you know, love is love. Yeah. And that is something that is so beautiful when you hear it. It's hard yeah. to argue against. Right. Um, we're all about trying to help people practically think about these issues and how to love people. And they're right. gone. I've I've gone and used the word again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, love is love. What do I do with that as a believer who wants to truly love and engage with people and help them understand Jesus better? And they come at me with this thing that feels almost like I, I can't argue against it because love should be love, right? Right. But not. What do I do? Yeah, so I think we get confused because even this word love, and some of it is our own English language. You know, I, I will say I love ice cream, but then I love my wife. And when you do that, you're like, how can I be using the same word? And this is one of, the, I think, the challenges we have in our English-speaking world. But I also think then we deal with the idea of, okay, what does the world define love to be? And we always think that love is, is acceptance and affirmation, and I love you, and I accept you just as you are, and I love you, and I love you, and I love you. And yet, then we have to turn to the Bible and see how God is love and defines love. So often we miss this. We often think, well, I, I could never serve a, a God who isn't loving. But, but second, the Bible itself says that God is love. It's not, he doesn't put it on, take it off. He doesn't do some things that are loving and some things are, everything he does and says is love because he is love. And, and so it's interesting to me that we often equate love is love, which sounds beautiful, but love is love taken to its logical conclusion can actually be unloving mm. because sometimes, as I said in my answer, parents and grandparents actually display some of the greatest amounts of love for their children or grandchildren by actually denying them things. I use the illustration of my granddaughter who had an infatuation with our propane fireplace and just loved it and wanted to go up and touch it and see this dancing flame. And yet as a grandfather who loves his grandbaby, I know things she doesn't know. She doesn't, she hasn't matured and grown up and knows the difference between hot surfaces and what it does to tender skin. And so it was actually me being loving to deny her what she thought was going to be the greatest pleasure in her little life at that point. So do I trust God to know and define love even better than me? Because I'm often driven by my feelings, my emotions. And we live in a culture where our feelings and our emotions rule. But God says that love is a choice, not a feeling. Mm. Love is a decision. And, and again, and, and I would challenge people even to think in relationships. Whether, whether you're in a homosexual relationship, a heterosexual relationship, friendship, what makes a friendship friendship? I always tell people, I've taught this to my kids, I teach this in my church. Real friends don't always tell you what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. But real friends never bail on you because you disagree. And so, 
you know, I've been married to my wife for 30 years next month. We've known each other. But some of the greatest loving things that Debbie has done for me is disagreed with me, told me the truth, Hmm. pointed out things that I didn't see. Love is love wasn't her always affirming and agreeing with me. In fact, our relationship has grown more through disagreement than agreement, quite frankly. And so I think when we get into this idea of love is love. So what is love? Love is when you genuinely want something good for the person you're dealing with. You want them to be safe. You want them to have value. You want them to know that they are secure, that they matter, all of these things. And it's, that's a beautiful thing because those are biblical things. But the same God who gives us value is the same God who also says, this is why you're valuable, mm. because you need to do this and not need to do this. And he's not, again, as I said, he's not a cosmic killjoy who's got his arms folded like he's Zeus or something like that. Just how can I make your lives miserable? I want you all to dance according. No, if he is love, then everything he tells us is loving. So there's a masterful, beautiful plan as to why he wants us and human beings to act and treat and talk to each other in a certain way. And that, I think, includes how we engage with people that are struggling or convinced even that their sexual identity is the sum total of their identity. Mm. And that, and again, I, in full disclosure, that takes time. There's no, you, you know, we are such a instant gratification culture. We grew up on 30-minute sitcoms and 60-minute dramas. We have lived in an age of fast food. And so we actually think our relationships and our Christian faith and all this is the same thing. I just run around to the drive-thru at McDonald's. I order up answers to stuff, drive around, and someone gives it to me. And that's not true. Life is lived in a series of days, weeks, months, and years. And that's true of even our struggles with understanding love. It sounds so easy to give that answer to someone. Right. And, I, you know, I hear you speak and I'm like, could you come speak to a few of my friends? Um, and that's good. Right. What, how can I encourage someone yeah. who comes to me, you know, as I'm, you know, I'm director of ministry at a Christian retreat center organization sure. type place. And they say, I've got a gay friend. Yeah. They've just invited me to their wedding. Yeah. Can I go to their wedding? I love them. Right. Here's the love again, right? Yeah. It's I love them. I want to support them as a person. Yep. Even though I don't agree with their lifestyle. Right. How does someone make a decision about that? And is it something we make a one-time decision on, or is it something that I need to make decisions on based on the individual relationship with that person? Yeah. I, I guess it would probably depend for me. I again I, I go back to the biblical principle. So we again, even how we posture that question, right? What am I supposed to do as it relates to the person I'm dealing with? How do I show them love? And then we always almost condition it with, well, you're either going to attend and that's not loving, or you're going to attend and that is loving. But again, the the Bible would say, no, sometimes attending might actually not be loving and not attending could be loving depending on the circumstances. Right. First and foremost, as any person who is going to be a follower of Christ, the Bible tells us repeatedly throughout the New Testament that we're not to violate our conscience. Hmm. So, you know, if someone says to me, the condition of love is you will be, you being willing to swallow everything that is a moral compass in you, then the person demanding that is actually not being loving, loving of me. right? Yeah. However, I think then there is a theological, you know, way to approach this on a very personal level. And I, I've had, uh, I've had the joy of having many 
gay friends and being invited to weddings and so on and so forth. And um, I have not gone to a wedding simply because there's a difference for me between acceptance and affirmation. So I accept anybody and everybody because Christ, Christ comes. And this is what the old hymn, right? Just as I am without Mm -hmm. one plea. And I love to say this, Jesus takes every one of us just as we are, but he loves us so much. He never leaves us as we are. I think it's a false dichotomy when we talk to people that are struggling with sexual identity, whether it is homosexual, heterosexual, transsexual, whatever sexual word you want to use to think that God doesn't accept us as we are. He absolutely does. But his love is so transformative, it never leaves us as we are. And I say that while I haven't personally struggled with homosexuality or transsexuality, I am a sexual abuse survivor, so I have definitely struggled with sexuality. Yeah. What is its purpose? Because my my entire childhood was robbed from me. So this idea of a normal, a boy meets girl, they fall in love, that was not my life. So I understand at least the portion of struggling to try and understand who am I as a person and what happened to me biologically. Because when you're having sex when you're not even 12, you're not thinking in terms of romance or anything else. Yeah. Your body is reacting. You're being affirmed by someone in an old, who's older than you saying, this makes you a man. And you have no idea what a man is. Yeah. And so I get the struggle. So circling all the way back, I, I, I wouldn't, for me personally, and I believe theologically as a Christian, because I believe marriage as God defines it, is between a man and a woman as a part of his created order in regards to procreation to see human beings be propagated, a people for God's glory. That, But I would be very careful to make sure that my homosexual friends or lesbian friends would understand this is me not attending is not my indictment of you. I am no better than you. This is me following God as God has shown himself to me in his word. Now, I have gone to receptions. I have gone and, and had wonderful friendships and gone to housewarming parties and, and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, listen, some of the, 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 the gay friends I have are some of the most loyal, friendly, loving people I could ever ask for. But you know what? They know who I am and I know who they are. Mm. And um, I'm very proud and passionate about being a follower of Jesus Christ. And, um, but I also don't demean their humanity simply because they don't agree with me. And I got to give them space. I think that's the biggest thing we're missing right now in the modern church is we think, again, that fast food culture, yeah. we're just going to dial up. So often, I hate it when we do this. Here's a couple of, we, we dole out Bible verses like we're giving out Advil or Tylenol. And Here's a couple of verses, problem. call me in the morning, your headache will go away. And that's <laughs> not how it works. I mean, Jesus Christ himself walked for what? Between 18 months and 36 months with 12 guys who constantly screwed it up. Yeah. Even to Peter right up to Christ's crucifixion is denying him and Christ still walks the road. And and quite frankly, even after the ascension, the Holy Spirit comes, resides in Peter. And what, a decade and a half later, we read in Galatians that Paul has to refuse him to his face because he's still getting messed up with this whole Christianity, Judaism thing. Yeah. So if the disciples needed that kind of patience and time, 
why do we think we're going to have a homosexual friend, a lesbian friend, a transgender friend, and say, oh, I'm just going to give you a couple of hours of my time, browbeat you with my big Bible, and you're just going to see it from my point of view. No, it could take years of, of doing it. I mentioned a book called Rosaria Butterfield, who wrote a book, Unlikely Letters from a, oh, sorry, Letters from an Unlikely Convert. Her <coughs> follow-up book, which is one I would encourage any of your Christian audience, is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. That, to me, is a very important book for the modern church to read, to understand the power of community, breaking bread together, eating together, spending time, getting to know each other. I have many people that disagree with me. I've been accused of being a bigot, narrow-minded. I'm all those things, and I get it. But what I'm proud of is that the people who know me, the people who've spent time with me, the people that I've been able to spend time with, know that that's not who I am. And it's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm, you know, it's because Jesus Christ has changed me. and I'm amazed by it. I'm humbled by it because I don't deserve it. My life and my whole, the way I've come through things I've gone through, there is no reason for me to be married or to have children or grandchildren. Quite honestly, I should be dead. Hmm. But God has been so gracious to me. And he's been gracious to me now for 50 years. And he was working in my life to save me for at least seven to 10 years. And he's faithfully walked with me now for half my life. Why do I think I'm going to meet someone, have a two-hour coffee, and then everything's fixed and they see my point of view? That's not even friendship. Street evangelism in some senses. Yeah, right? I think we often confuse acquaintances with friendship. Hmm. Yeah. And I think we got to admit, I wish our churches would admit, we've got friendship problems in our church. So is it any wonder we're struggling with these types of issues? Because we don't know how to be vulnerable and transparent and admit we're struggling because it's often not safe. How to make connections with each other. Yeah. I give the LGBT community has the very good right to say it is often not safe in church. And, and, And sometimes I don't think they mean because you don't affirm me. It's because literally they have been either treated like they're somehow dirty and if i rub up against you something bad might happen to me or they've been accosted as you're a project that i'm not going to fix and then i'm going to make a trophy out of you and i'm going to parade you around and say look at we yeah. fixed one and it's so unsafe it it, it is so who would yeah. want to be a part of that i remember being a runaway and embarrassing my family and all these things and coming back to my home church and the first thing they wanted me to do was get up in front of the church and apologize and talk about all my dirt. And I just remember feeling, guys, I feel like I'm wearing a scarlet letter and you're, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like a fish you landed, you know, mm. you wrestled this fish and now you need to hold it up and get a picture taken with it. And it, it makes me think too, uh, you kind of talked about this tonight and, and I'll go back there because I'm curious, the modern church has made sexuality almost like an idol yeah. Of, of sins. Like the chief among sin Absolutely. is this sexuality thing. And yeah. and to be fair, some churches talk about heterosexual, heterosexual sin right. when it comes to marriage and things like that, yep. you know, sex outside of marriage and all these things. But especially when it comes to sexuality, it seems to be that and abortion yes. are these two big issues. You know, the next episode people are going to be hearing is with Dr. Laura Lewis, right. the executive director of the Pregnancy Care Centers yep. of Canada. Right. You know, we want to talk about that too. But when yes. it comes to sexuality, it, it seems like people are just fixated yep. on this. And if we can fix this one issue in your life, suddenly you're going to know Jesus better because we fixed your sexuality. Yeah. What? 
how do we help convince the church? It is a sin. There is sin there, but yep. there is also sin involved. If I steal 25 cents That's right. from the local convenience store that, you know, yep. I shouldn't have love is love. Sin is sin. <laughs> so how do we help move that in direction that helps people see, be seen as loving image bearers of God yeah. despite their sin. So I, I think again, one, one of the big differences we, we have gotten fixated on this word belief. And so, you know, you need to believe in Jesus. But again, if you mean believe in, as in you trust him. So I give this example all the time. I believe in bungee cords. I believe in parachutes. And I'm laughing because I know I think you said. By the time people are listening to this, my wife and I will likely have jumped out of a plane in October. So I believe in all of that, but I don't trust a parachute. Right. I don't trust a dude I've never met to have told me he stuffed some canvas in a bag. He's going to strap it to my back, take me 10,000 feet and say, Steve, have a good life. If this is being recorded and broadcast in October, it's probably okay. But now you've got me on edge. Okay, so that's the thing. I think we think of people like believe Jesus exists instead of trust him. So I don't believe just in believe about Jesus. I believe in him. So I do believe you're right. So again, I'll give you a classic example. One thing, James says, if you offend the law in one point, you're guilty of all. Mm. So we have, we have to own the fact in the church, we have teared our sins. We have the big sins and the little sins, but mm. I find it fascinating in, in Galatians. And by teared, you mean weighed them. Like yes. You, you yeah. kind of given there, them a ranking. There's a priority order. and a yeah. weighting. And if it's and, this one, it's really right. bad. But if it's this exactly. one, it's minor enough you'll now, probably get away with are it. are there sins that I do that have more consequences than others? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But that still doesn't change the way. If God is 100% holy and I'm only one-tenth of 1% not holy, then I'm still unholy compared yeah. to him who is complete holiness. Yeah, those scales don't balance. Exactly, right? Yeah. So when you get to Galatians, I find it fascinating because Paul is admonishing this church and he says to them that they are not to walk according to the flesh. But here's what you're talking about. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, all of those. And we'd be like, yeah, yeah, let's hammer that, let's hammer that. But then he keeps going, enmity strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. It's like those like, no, 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 no. Well, you know, we're all human. And then we jump back into the list again when we get to drunkenness and orgies and things and, and, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So why do we focus on the ones that we don't struggle with and we make excuses for the ones that we know everybody struggles with? And herein lies the problem. I think of when we try to, even from a loving demeanor, want to talk to people about the overemphasis on sexual identity is because they're like, yeah, but like you guys are the epitome of dissension and envy and fits of anger. Mm. And you act like, well, that's just part of being human. But now let me condescendingly in sometimes a fit of anger, yeah. tell you how bad you are because you struggle with, with this sexual desire. Issue. Yeah. Right. So that's not to be dismissive. What it is saying is remember. And again, even in this passage, Paul is not saying if you're guilty of this one time, you're not. No, it's this settled idea that I have a right to this. I don't feel sorry for this. I don't think anything needs to change because that's proof. You're not trusting Christ. Mm. So I don't care if you're heterosexual, homosexual, transsexual. 
if what you're trusting is in is your sexuality, then that means you're not trusting in Christ. So I love the line of Rosaria Butterfield, who she said that the pastor that befriended her, I love it. He said, she said, she writes in her book, he never ever told me I would go to hell because I was a lesbian. He, he told me that I would be separated from God because I don't trust in God. Hmm. And so this is going to sound so basic for a podcast like this in 2022. If you want to know what I think the greatest pandemic is of the modern church and how to handle all this issue is we're not reading our whole Bibles. Yeah. We're doing daily breads. We chicken McNugget the Bible. We, we, we go up to McDonald's again. I get a 10 pack of verses yeah. and we don't read the whole Bible as it's meant to be read In so context. we can see Christ yeah. for who he is and why. Even, even when you say the church talks about heterosexual stuff, but we've made it so dirty, so taboo. We've made it so legalistic. We don't actually explain to the younger generation. God is not up in heaven with his arms folded and saying, if I can't have fun, you can't. I mean, God gave us sex. He created us male and female and told us to procreate. So it, you know, and, and these pleasures that are hardwired into our biology, while we're all affected by the fall are still the normal effects of our humanity. But he does know that there's a way to go about this that is actually meant to then be safe and secure and meaningful and drive us deeper into friendship and relationships of trust, not just the sheer cheap thrill of five seconds of pleasure, hmm. which is so, so fleeting. And, and the truth of that is, I mean, one of the side effects of a pastor is you're often going to nursing homes. And it is amazing to me when you talk to people who are at the end of their life, hmm what they actually now say is important. Mm. And, you know, I try to tell this, we, we have so overstimulated ourselves with the idea that sex reigns. And yet when you talk to someone who's dying of cancer or someone who has AIDS or someone who is dying from heart arrhythmia or someone who's lost a child, sex and who they're having sex with is the last thing on their mind. Intimacy of safety and being able to go, I don't, I'm scared this isn't fair. What do I do now? And that's when I think the church has the greatest opportunity to say, Christ has answers for that. And so it's not to deny our sexuality. It's to trust God enough to say, here is my sexuality. And Lord, you define me, not who I'm having sex with. Mm. And again, because I can say that to you, I've been having these thoughts and I've been working through this half yeah. my life. Right. But when I meet someone for the first time who's been on a journey or they've got their own scars, their own, you know, how, again, it is so to me pompous to think I'm going to meet someone, have a five minute conversation or a two hour co and go, there you go. Now figure it out. Yeah. God's been working on me for 50 years. So why can't I believe that God's going to work on somebody else for that long as well and be patient and long suffering, which is the second half of that passage of Galatians, because right. that's the fruit of the spirit, gentleness, yeah. long suffering, forbearance Peace. against yeah. such there is, because actually that's how the Bible defines love, right? But again, love is love. Let me, let me challenge your listening audience, especially those who would claim to be Christian and maybe some searchers out there that are kind of skeptical and found out this is an LGBTQ pod podcast by a bunch of evangelicals. Read 1 Corinthians 13, yeah. but really read it 
when Paul actually outlines love. Why does it say, right? Love doesn't assume the worst, but it says it hopes all things, but it tells you the truth. It wants what's right. So again, whether it's my children, whether it's my wife, whether it's my mom and dad, whether it's my friends, do they really want me to just always lie to them because I think it'll spare them from some hurt or make them feel happy? No, my greatest and dearest friends call me up and ask me their advice because they want the truth. But then they know, but Steve is always going to be there for me. Yeah. Who better than that than God? And that's why I've said my favorite pericope of the Bible, that's a fancy word for one of the stories in John, yeah. is the woman at the well. Yeah. Married five times, living with a dude, embarrassed. She's the, she's the outcast. She's kind of like the harlot of her town. She's gossiped about and everything. She meets Jesus, this rabbi, holy. She's unveiled. He engages her with, in conversation, respects her, shows her dignity, honors her womanhood, but still calls her out and says, go get your husband. So she's got to out herself. Yeah. I don't, I'm not the guy I'm living with. It's not my husband. And he then tells her, no, you're right. Cause you've had five. And I love it. Cause when she goes back into town, she doesn't go in and let me tell you about the theological Jesus I met. And I know he's the Messiah. What does she say? I met a guy who told me all I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Yeah. She's fascinated. The guy knows all about her and still loves her and respects her. If anything I could say to our audience, if you want to engage with the culture, Let's make it as simple as what Peter said. Be ready to give an answer with dignity and respect yep. and then be patient and realize some will like that and some won't. And if they are against you, let them be against you because they want to, they can, all they can do is criticize your good works. Don't be pompous and a jerk trying to tell people about a savior who is Christ the Lord. It makes me think of Eugene Cho's new book, Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk. Right. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and. It's unfortunate that Christians have garnered that reputation. It is tragic. It is is the word pompous. You've said it a couple of times and it is just so sad. But on that note, I think coming out of everything that's happened in the last couple of years, what an opportunity for us to reset the tone. I um, totally you know, agree. And I, <laughs> I've told this story a couple of times. At the, at the early starts of the COVID pandemic, I, I said to our pastor, this is going to be such an opportunity for the church to show what we're really made of. Yeah. At the, and at the time, we didn't know, right? Like yeah. my wife and I had an honest conversation about what if this is like the plague? Yeah. And some of us are called to go into homes and help people. Mm-hmm. What is that like for us as a family if yeah. we're supposed to die to Christ? Yeah. Does one of us need to then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm a bigger guy. My wife's very, very healthy. Does she yeah. have a better chance of surviving? Right. She yeah. was like, but that's my wife. I'm supposed to die for my wife. And right. all these things, we had these hard conversations, but yeah. you know, in the end, it wasn't like that, but it was, it was an interesting thought experiment in the end. But I said to our pastor, you know, what, what a chance for the church to show what we're really made of. And about two years in, I said, oh, I wish I had never said that because, <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we have not proven that Christ is the center. Right. And I think sometimes when it comes to issues like this, if we make Christ the center, a lot of this other stuff, it's not that it doesn't matter, right? but it starts to fade away when you say, you know, all for Jesus, I surrender. I just, all, right? I just like want all. us as a church to be honest about our Bibles. Yeah. Because God in his word, whether it's any type of sexuality, whether it's polygamy, adultery, divorce, abuse, rape, 
sexual confusion. It's all in there. I mean, what I wish people would realize in the church, the only hero inside the pages of this book is God. Every human being in here is a mess. Yeah. And I really believe that's the gift. That's why I believe the Bible is relevant for 2022. I'm not supposed to go in here and find a bunch of stained glass people. The whole message of the Bible is planet Earth is broken and God loves us so much to display his grace and his mercy. He sent his son to live the life we can't live, die the death we deserve, rise over the things we fear the most, death, and give us an assurance that we can have meaning not only in this life, but in eternity. So I no longer have to fear death because my heaven worthiness is not based on Steve Bray. It's based on Jesus Christ. And Mm -hmm. that's an invitation to everybody. Amen. But the tragedy is, as church, we're throwing rocks at each other. Yeah. And when you throw rocks at each other, innocent people get hit. Yeah. And that's what I hope we learn from this. And I hope that people hear from this. This is not me saying love, 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 and never stand for anything. No, we're called to stand for the truth, to declare the truth. We are yeah. to be witnesses. But what is a witness? We testify. I testify to the goodness of Christ, and I testify, I give witness that Christ changed my life. And as I said, right, I I don't think D.A. Carson originated this. It's who I heard say it, so I always give him credit for it. But we're simply beggars who found food and want to tell other beggars where to find it. There is no pride in that. Well, and I think about the woman at the well. It's one of my favorite stories too. Come and see. Yes. Right. She she doesn't say listen to me. Right. She is only pointing them. That's exactly the other right. Saying, Come and see. Right. Because I don't got it. I yeah. don't have this. Yep. But he does, and he's told me everything I've ever done, and and like you said, he still loves me. And and three chapters or uh, five chapters later in chapter nine, you got the man born blind. Mm. And then when he gets accosted in the temple and they're trying to pin him down, he's like, look, here's what I know. I Mm. once was blind, but now I see. Do you want to know him? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny that even the world loves amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Yeah. But I just wish we'd all read the lyrics. Yeah. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. That's what made amazing grace amazing. So rather than trying to win arguments, rather than trying to enforce our, what we believe is the right moral compass because it's given to us by God, rather come and see, come to the table. Let me introduce you to the savior that changed my life. It's not going to win every argument. It's not even going to win everybody over. People will reject that. But I think that's the way to be dignified and respectful. And I think it's a way to be inclusive while still allowing Jesus Christ to be the one who changes us. I'm not called to change anybody. I'm called to invite them to the one who does. What is the old hymn? Who changes the leper spots mm. and makes him as white as snow. Yeah. That's what God does. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. I love to tell people about that. Yeah. Well, come and see. Yeah. I mean, what a what a simple thing to do. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Steve, but imagine listen. if our whole church in Canada did that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and that's the joy of it is that it's actually beautifully simple. Right. It's way less scary to say, just come and see yep. because he's changed me. And I would love for you to experience that change exactly. too. And I'm not going to force that change on you. Right. But if you want it, it's available yeah. to you. You talked earlier about it's the most exclusive and inclusive exactly. thing, right? It yes. is inclusive of everyone. Everyone is accepted. Yeah. But there's one way, one truth. Right. One and life. do I trust? So the big thing I would tell everybody listening don't hear Christianities. I just have to believe about Jesus, that he exists, that he's an option. No, I have to believe 
in Jesus. So I trust him. Yeah. My, I have a relative uh, who uh, had made a claim of faith at some point right. in their life. And now they would say they didn't. Yeah. And, you know, I asked them about it once and they, and they said, uh, you know, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. <laughs> I don't want to live by his rules. Right. And, and that is heartbreaking in one sense Absolutely. because I love them. Yeah. But how beautifully honest. Yeah. Because at least I know where they're at. Right. And I can say, oh, man, you believe. Yeah. Even the rocks and stones, even yeah. the demons believe. Right. But you actually, it's, it's come and see, but then there's the, I, you know, not to modify it and follow. Yeah. But I mean, see but that's one thing. Lots of people came and saw, right. but they didn't follow. Right. Right. Nicodemus, uh, not Nicodemus. Um, what's his name? Uh, he went away sad. The, the, oh, rich, the rich ruler. ruler. Absolutely. He went away sad because right. there was this, he couldn't follow where but there Jesus is a subtle difference. And I think the, the Canadian church needs to grapple with this because many of us in the professing church are like the rich young ruler. Amen. We want God's stuff. We don't want God. Hmm. The rich young ruler came to God and what did he ask? What do I need to do to have eternal life? Yeah, I want the thing you have on offer. Right. Because what do you want? He wanted to live forever with his money. So what does Jesus do? And I love this because you talked about love is love at the beginning. Yeah. It says, uh, is it Mark or Luke that tells us, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. him. Yeah. I think it's Luke. Yeah. Right. Loved him. So here is the Bible saying he loved him. And what did he do? One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and come follow me. Yeah. And that was called an act of love even though it meant that this guy was going to have to give up what was truly the God of his life. See, he believed in Jesus, but he didn't trust him. What he trusted in was his money. Amen. Yeah. And we have to be honest, what are we really trusting in? And as I've said before, since I've been here this week, tell me what you're afraid of and I'll tell you your view of God. Yeah. And I just think that's the stuff. So apologetics, being able to get and engage with the culture is not about winning arguments. It's about pointing people to Christ. And I think that's a chasmous difference between a lot of what's happening in our country right now. And it's why I think we have this confusion where we have either these, I hate use this word of this fundamentalism, this rigidness, this legalism, where I've, I've boiled Jesus down to a bunch of rules, like I can legislate your life. Or the other extreme is license. Live whatever way you want, as long as you say Jesus, Jesus is love. But that is to discount everything about him. Mm. And the problem is in both of those, and this is why I think so many people are abandoning the church, because one is oppressive and one is like tissue paper. Yeah. It can't take any kind of pressure. Yeah. And what happens is you just end up with a bunch of angry, hurt people. So, but God is better and Amen. bigger. Listen, Amen. Steve, thank you so much. It has been no, wide been ranging. Joy. I'm not sure that we stayed <laughs> super on topic, but that's okay because it's yeah. wide and it's good. And right. we are just so grateful you spent the time. We are praying for mile one. Thank you. Thank you for the work thank that you. you were doing in reaching the lost. Um, the lost who hopefully will be found, the blind who yeah, will see. Absolutely. And I know that's your hope and prayer for Newfoundland and Labrador. We yeah. are grateful you're here with us at NBC. Um, and just really look forward to seeing what God's going to do. Thanks, Luke. And thanks to the NBC staff and family. It's been a joy to be here. I always love it. People are great. And, and again, I hope that your listening audience will feel f freedom to ask questions to and inquire yeah. and realize that there's no pressure and it's, it's not a race. Jesus yeah. is just like you said, come and see. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We made the joke several times, but that was definitely a long episode. If you've made it this far, you'll know that the conversation wandered a little bit, 
But if I'm being completely honest, it is so hard to stop someone like Steve from speaking. He is so passionate, articulate, and cares deeply about the state of the church in Canada. You can learn more about his work in St. John's, Newfoundland at mile1mission.ca. Next week, we're welcoming Dr. Laura Lewis, who is the Executive Director of the Pregnancy Care Canada. She'll be talking to us about the abortion debate both in Canada and in our hearts. She is a great speaker, and I'd encourage you to give it a listen. As always, if you've enjoyed listening to today's episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe on your favorite podcast app, or give us a like on social media. You can check the show resources for details about the books that Steve suggested during this lecture today. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Transforming Culture is a production of Muskoka Bible Center. It's hosted and produced by Luke LaRock. Editing, sound design, and mixing by Abhishek Varghese. Audio and technical support from Charles West and the Summer 2022 AV Team. The theme song is Citizens by John Guerra. Graphic design by Christina tebakel Holtz. We'll see you next Monday for our next episode of Transforming Culture. Children home.